instead of her being like, I don't want some dumb girl guiding me, I started inquiring about her experience and her hunts. And I started asking all about her. People are transitioning more and more to online. You're only retaining like five to 10%, just like we did in high school. Like I'm going to cram for this exam, then I'm going to take the test and then boom, I've forgotten all of it. When I guide people, my goal is to teach them so that they have some knowledge and they can take that and do more down the road. It's not like, oh, I'm going to keep all this knowledge so that you have to use me again. I always say the elk don't care whether I'm a man or a woman. (laughs) This is Mia Anstein and you are listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. You and I and everybody listening to this owns 640 million acres. I think he killed more deer drinking his coffee, smoking his cigarette in the pickup truck than I did spending all that time freezing my butt off. Something that I would hope is that people realize that those are wild animals and they have savage natures. I look forward to packing animals out. I look forward to that pain of success. Doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter where you live. I've said it before and you know what? I'll say it again louder for the people in the back. Your present circumstance should not limit your passions. This is Jay Scott of the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Hey, this is Ryan Callahan. Hi, this is Jules McQueen. Hey everybody, Jason Carter here with Epic Outdoors. Hey guys, this is Tim Burnett with Solo Hunter. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative brought to you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Y'all, today I am happy to have Mia Einstein on the podcast with me. Mia is, uh, we met at uh, the POMA conference. She's a fellow POMA member and she is an outdoor writer, very big into mentorship, uh, very big into getting people into hunting. And I'm very glad to have her on. Mia, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's really cool to finally get a minute to chat since we haven't really connected since that POMA conference, which seems like eons ago after the COVID year. (laughs) Oh, geez. Yeah. And uh, I was going to say, I think we've been talking about this pretty much 
since that conference, we're like, okay, we need to, cause I was, I was on the road and I was, we were going to, I was going to be in Durango, Colorado. And then you happen to be out of town, like the, the, that three day period that I was in yeah. there. And, <laughs> and then, yeah, I think it's been, uh, it's been a long time coming to have this conversation. So, yeah. so I will, always like to start out with just a little bit about yourself um you know who you are and and really how did you get introduced to hunting and fishing and the outdoors what what spurred all of this for you well I'll start with how I got introduced to hunting and fishing and then I'll let you know who I am Uh, (laughs) that could that could be a little more lengthy but I was introduced to hunting and fishing actually as a child. I grew up in Southwest Colorado near Pagosa Springs and my parents kind of, they were traditional or old school hippies, like hippie, <laughs> hippies from the word go. And they had, I was born in Hawaii and they had moved to Colorado to live near my family where my great grandfather used to bring my family to hunt and they used to come mule deer hunting and in the area here. So when they uh, moved us here being hippies, so to speak, they wanted to kind of live off the land. My mom had a garden and she sewed and my dad hunted to put food on the table. And it wasn't that we were broke. Like I've bumped into people who are like, Oh, you guys were so poor. And it's like, actually, um, money or not, we were extremely rich. We had such a great life and it wasn't something that I really realized until later in life. But um, we lived on the San Juan River and my mom, she took me down there to teach me how to fish with my little Snoopy fishing pole. And I remember how excited I was to catch a bunch of suckers and bring them. And they were like, oh my gosh, like sucker fish aren't the best, but we'll cook them up for you anyway. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) So I started at five years old old, I learned how to shoot. And I learned how to shoot because I had an older brother. He was five years older than me. And he was learning how to shoot and hunt. And so my dad, kind of to defeat curiosity from any of the kids, he's like, come on, Mia. And he brought me with them when he's teaching my brother. So I was tagging along on hunts and learned to shoot and learned to fish at before five years old. So that's kind of where it came from. And who I am now evolved from that because when I was in high school, my parents divorced and I moved with my mom to San Diego. And that's where I say, like, I didn't realize how rich I was living in as a little country bumpkin in Colorado until I went (laughs) to the city. (laughs) And I had been back and forth from San Diego through my childhood because I have a lot of family there. But when I was in high school, it was amazing to me how many of the kids didn't know about fishing, how many kids didn't know about firearms. And there actually was an incident that happened during that time period that led me to want to teach people about firearms and gun safety. And that's kind of how I came to be who I am. (laughs) And who I am today is I'm an educator. I'm an advocate. I'm a mentor. I'm a firearms archery and hunter education instructor. I'm a hunting guide. I'm a licensed outfitter. Although right now I currently only guide for private landowners when they enlist me to guide hunts on their properties. But that's kind of where I came from and who I am in a nutshell. (laughs) 
So you, you've got just a couple of things going on. You yeah, know, and that, one that's only a things. few. <laughs> trying, not, <laughs> trying not to overtake everything right away. But <laughs> that was that was like the high level summary. <laughs> you know, I, fi- I find it interesting that, you know, I, I talk to a lot of folks and I, I love hearing about their introduction to hunting. And I've had a lot of just amazing women on the podcast. Like I, I actually had someone comment to me the other day. Uh, they're like, oh yeah, I love hearing, you know, hearing from women on the podcast. And I'm like, oh, well, let me gather some some of the other episodes for you. And and I started going through and I'm like, dang, I've had like a good percentage of women on this podcast. And it's always interesting hearing their stories, especially how they got into hunting because so many of them, you know, a lot of them were in a similar situation to you where it was like, Oh yeah. You know, my brothers were hunting. My dad wanted me to learn as well. Or, or, you know, my dad never got a son. And so I got turned, (laughs) I was the one drug out into the woods. And you know, something I spoke one time at a archery convention, a bow hunting convention in Ohio, and I was on a woman's panel and we were talking about hunting. And it's like, I grew up in a hunting family and with a hunting family, but I didn't personally start hunting until I was an adult. And that's something where it's kind of like that transition didn't really happen until later in life. And it was mainly because other people were already doing the job of the shooting and stuff like that. And we were just tagging along and helping field dress and everything. So I, I had someone ask, well, you know, you've been hunting for X amount of years. And it's like, well, I've been going on hunts since I was a toddler, but I haven't actually been the one behind the trigger until I was an adult. So that's something where I, I don't know if it's more of a sexist thing. Maybe, I don't know. My, my dad always invited me along, but it wasn't a necessary thing. And mm-hmm. so I've been guiding hunts since I was probably 12. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. How do you classify that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and it's, it's so interesting because then you have on the other side, uh, you know, people that grew up in hunting families were always around it and, you know, always, you mm-hmm. know, saw the deer coming back on the hood of the the pickup coming back to the the house or whatever it may be. But because they were the girl in the family, they were never brought along. Like, uh, you know, the brothers always went or, you know, the, all of that always happened. But as the daughter, she was never invited to deer camp and, and things like that. And it's, it's, it's always such an interesting difference. And I, I, I don't know like what, what goes on in people's heads. And I know it's a, it's, we're in a a very, a very different world now where I think we see a lot more women in the outdoors or maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like we do see a lot more women in the outdoors and, and maybe opinions are changing on that, but uh, it's just interesting thinking about, okay, what, what prompts someone to either want to include their daughters and bring their daughters into the outdoors and hunt and fish with them versus no, this is, this is a boys only sort of, sort of thing. Yeah. That's something that it's hard to answer. Um, and, and it's something that I haven't quite figured out because I have, you know, even like a girl's trip, maybe in college, like, okay, all the girls are just going to go do this. And 
for me, it's always been, I mean, my dad included me on events. And when I had my daughter, it was kind of one of those things where, well, if my daughter can't come, then I'll probably skip out on this because if it's, if it's an adult only thing, it might be too X rated for me to attend or something like that. I don't know. No. And I'm just saying that in jest, but it's always been a thing where family is priority to me. And so my family included me and I try to include my family. And I mentioned that in the area where I live, my great grandfather used to come deer hunting here. Well, he brought his sons, which are my great uncles, and he brought my grandma. And so it was a whole family thing. And that's something that as, as a mentor now, I mean, I kind of tout myself as a mentor, but when people ask, how can I teach my children about hunting? And the main thing I say is bring them along. And Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not a guys only. It's not a girls only. It's, it's include the whole family. Um, I have people invite me on women's hunts and I do attend women's hunts on occasion, but I really do enjoy my husband. And so it's like, if we can have group hunts and bring my husband along, I enjoy that as well. And a lot of times when we're guiding, it's, it's kind of a team effort and we work really well together. The other day I was telling somebody that my husband and my daughter are two people that I can talk to without saying a word. And that's something that we've learned by being in the outdoors and being silent and learning sign language to each other, or just a simple look about yes, no, or whatever. And we can even use that now at an event to just kind of like say, okay, it's time to go or okay, (laughs) like come rescue me over here or let me know what this, you know, what's the name of this animal or what is this person's name that I'm talking to? (laughs) And it's something that you wouldn't consider learning out in the hunting woods, but we definitely have formulated that. And it's not even a planned thing. It's just something that happened organically. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, you, you very clearly aren't just teaching this, you're walking the walk and it's because your daughter is quite the accomplished out, outdoorsman herself as well. Yeah, she, it's kind of funny because, and I say that I've been out in the outdoors since I was a toddler, but um, KJ Houtman interviewed me for her book. It's called Why Women Hunt. And there's a story that I told in there about taking her grouse hunting when she was a toddler and cooking dinner for her and how excited she was when she learned where food came from. So that was pretty cool. (laughs) But then also her going fishing with my dad and catching a trout and wanting to bring that home and cook it for dinner. And she kind of like figured that out at a really young age and then watching her grow. I mean, now she's almost ready to graduate from college and (laughs) her transition from the watching her has just been amazing because from being a toddler and where that is to now we kind of have jokes about who's top hand at the ranch because we have a cattle ranch too and who's the top guide and it a couple years ago it was like she's outdoing all the rest of us by you know her hunters are tagging the most animals and stuff like that and <laughs> so it's pretty cool i mean she finally um was it the year before last in 2019, she tagged her first archery elk and she's been hunting elk for since she was 12 and got her first cow elk when she was 12. And she's been kind of particular about bulls, but also um, not going full in on them with her bow. And that year she decided I'm going to go full in on this with my bow and 
one of the cool things is, and this is like totally probably off tangent, but as a guide, if I'm guiding an archery elk hunter, I'm generally running back and forth. I'm in the bushes, I'm calling, I'm trying to act like another bull and entice a bull in. And so a lot of times, you know, I tell my hunter, okay, this is the way we're hoping we're going to hope it goes. And it may or may not turn out that way. And this year with that bull, my husband is up on a ridge. He's going back and forth. I'm behind a Montana decoy and trying to stay close and help her, um, but can't be too close because I don't want to blow this her stock. And we're calling this bull in. Well, one backdoors her, another one comes from another direction. And I get to watch the whole thing go down, which was super cool because I don't always get to see it happen. But it's extra good because it's my daughter who I've been watching for years and in her growth and decision making and everything else. But she she by herself, I mean, she's an adult, so she can make decisions, but she she already knows from experience what to do with the backdoor bull, how to transition in her her stance and her setup to get this other bull that's coming in on the front. I watched the whole thing from the decoy cow call. It hesitates and stops. She draws and shoots. <laughs> And we, she tags her first bull and I saw the whole thing happen. And as a parent, like it was just a glorious moment. And it's one that no spoilers, but you're going to read her story in um, Bugle magazine coming up, I think this summer's issue or something like that. She was an intern for them in college and um, sent nice. them an, an article about this hunt. So there's a lot more to the story than what I'm telling you, but <laughs> 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 gotta gotta get a copy of Bugle to get the whole. Yeah. Get the whole <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's that is that's awesome. I you know I mean, and I I feel that excited. I I just got my first bowl uh, this last year. My uh, I mean my first my first elk period, uh, let alone a bowl archery. Very cool. But that's that's su- super exciting. And, and is uh, that what's behind you on wait. the wall? Yeah, yeah. I was checking uh, that out earlier. <laughs> Funny enough, I always laugh because I, I look back and for those those that can't see, um, I've got my deer, my javelina, and my elk up on my wall that you can kind of see whenever I'm on a on a video conference, and uh, they're all all Arizona. This is like my Arizona corner, apparently, and it wasn't intended to be. It just kind of worked out that way. Every <laughs> these were all uh, all shot on the last day of my hunt, last minute of my hunt uh, in Arizona hunts in Arizona. So, and that's something that's super cool. I said that Leah went all in and committed to her hunt. Something that a lot of hunters don't realize is that I bet 90% of the, the harvest or the kills happen on the last day of the hunt. And so many people, they'll only plan like, Oh, I'm going to take this many days off of work, but they cut their season short and, they, they end up unsuccessful. And it's like, if you're going to go, you need to commit mm-hmm. to the hunt and go all in and do it right. And you'll be successful. If you're just kind of half-assing it, you're not going to probably get your tag filled. And it's, it's something that's hard to convince people of. I think some people are like, oh, well, you know, the weather's bad today. I'll skip today. And and I'm speaking from somebody who's experienced at this. I mean, turkey season in Colorado is going on right now and it's a long season. And so it's like, oh, yeah, I'll go tomorrow. I'll go tomorrow. Well, I've been, as I said, a lot of balls in the air and I haven't I've only been out one morning hunting. So it's like, holy crap, season's almost over and I don't have a turkey yet because I haven't committed. If I had committed, I'd probably yeah. have a turkey. <laughs> no, it's you know, 
of all the things I've learned from this podcast, and I mean, I've, I've learned tons running this podcast and that it's especially with elk hunting um, and kind of the more big game hunting, the key to all of this more than anything else, more than all the articles on elk behavior, your, your glassing techniques, your uh, what camo you wear to anything and everything. The biggest biggest deciding factor on whether or not you're going to be successful with elk hunting is the time you can spend in the elk woods and you know this is not trying to discourage anyone that has a nine to five job and they're like okay i've got two weeks of vacation i have to spend one week with my family or else they'll i'll get a divorce i have to i can spend i have this other week that i can save up all my vacation days and you can take them with you (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) Um, and I, I get it, you know, not everyone has the, um, the available time to take and spend like I did in 2019 here in Montana, I spent six weeks in elk hunting, I mean, on and off. And I was, you know, would have to run into town and do some work for a day or two or whatever it happened to be. But I was out here in Montana for six weeks hunting elk and I got closer than I ever had before. But the every single day, additional day, you can add to your time in the woods, to your elk hunt, to your, I mean, to any hunt, your mule deer hunt, your turkey hunt, whatever it happens to be, you're, you're just increasing your chance of success every time. And it's, there's no other way around it. The more time you spend in the woods, the more likely you are to fill that tag, hands down. Yeah, 100%. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So in your guiding, do you, uh, you and Leah, do you guys ever see any, any pushback from hunters or being women in the outdoors, and especially Leah being young, do you guys ever experience any of that kind of like that? Oh, you're going to be our guide kind of, kind of <laughs> attitude. <laughs> um, I would like to say no, but of course, yeah, we do. Um, I, and I'll tell you another story because a lot of times people think that it's just the men that do that. And they think, Oh, it's a sexist thing. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like that. And sometimes it's age, like you said, with Leah being young, they think she doesn't have experience. Um, sometimes it's a man that wants a man to guide stuff like that. I, I have had men that are like, Oh, my wife won't want a woman to be guiding me. And I get it fine. That's, that's fine. I understand that. That's why they were, you know, my husband can guide you or someone else, stuff like that. But I act the most surprising incidents for me. And I, I talk about it quite a bit because a lot, a lot of people think, like I said, that it's just men, but I was guiding down in New Mexico and my partner back then, he and I were taking a woman out and he was going to guide her. He, he, he set up the hunt and he was in a guider. And I'm like, that's fine. I've got the pack horses and I'm ready and I'll take you guys in and I'll hang out and you guys go hunt. And I'm, I'm there whenever you get an animal down or whatever you need. And 
the the lady just did not want anything to do with me. You know, she she's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, make sure you're far away, make sure I don't ruin the hunt, stuff like that. I'm like, okay, you know, I know how to not ruin hunts. I've been not ruining hunts since I was a child because <laughs> I learned when I was a child how to not ruin a hunt. Um, but they, they had a, an incident in the morning where the close call and it didn't happen. Everything didn't come together. And um, we're sitting on a hillside eating lunch and, she starts looking at my binoculars and I'm, I'm just sitting over on a separate kind of glass in and looking around, seeing where the elk are, what they're doing. And she's like, looks at her binoculars. And I had already scoped out her binoculars. She had Swarovski optics. So did I, hers were a little smaller than mine and whatever. It doesn't matter to me. Um, and, and I'm, I'm glassing and she's comments on my optics. And I said, yeah, you know, I, I use Swarovski. I got him as a tip on one of my hunts. And she's like, what? Somebody tipped you a set of, of Swarovski. And I was like, yeah, I'm a pretty good guide sometimes, you know, <laughs> we had a successful hunt. Um, but so it was finding a commonality that when she asked about my optics, I started talking to her about hunting. And instead of her being like, I don't want some dumb girl guiding me. And she was a little bit older than me, but she, we, I started inquiring about her experience and her hunts. And I started asking all about her and didn't make it about me. I mean, I said, yeah, I had a successful hunt just so she would know, like, I know what I'm doing. Um, but my inquiry to her and just it showing an interest made her want to kind of tag along with me. And ultimately mm -hmm. we ended up swapping and I guided and my friend, my colleague, he ended up taking the pack horses and we were successful on day three or four of the hunt. And ended up being friends after all was said and done. But that's something that if, if a man or a woman experiences discrimination, because guys experience it too, you, you know, I, I've been hunting longer than you and you're younger. Um, I have a really good friend, Dick Ray, and he owns Lobo Outfitters and his son, Mike, he guides and now he now he runs it. I mean, Dick is retired now, but that used to happen when Mike was just in his 20s. You know, Dick would be like, you're going with my son and the hunter. No, no, no. I don't want to go with them. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, it's something that just happens in general. It's not always a sexist thing. But if you can find a commonality with somebody, you can learn how to speak to them, learn learn about them and what their interests and backgrounds are. And then maybe you can make it work and ultimately help them to like you. And that's something that it takes some practice, just like being out in the woods. You learn by doing and you learn by testing out different things with different people and seeing what works. But yeah, definitely there's some discrimination out there sometimes. I, well, and I definitely, I, I definitely see your point where you're coming from, where it, it can happen to everyone. And because I, I used to teach rifle marksmanship and, you know, I've got a beard and tattoos and this whole thing. And, you know, I'm out there trying to instruct these guys. And of course there's every class, there's always one or two guys that would get all chesty with me. And it was the guys that effectively just looked like me, <laughs> you know, they're bearded and tattooed. And they're like, oh, I'm just I'm just here to bring my girlfriend. I don't need to learn. I don't need to learn anything, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they'd get all chesty with me. And then I'm, I'm like, OK, dude, whatever you shoot, how you want to shoot. And then by the end of the day, his girlfriend's embarrassing him with the with that, how, <laughs> how the two of them are shooting. And and suddenly he starts getting open to listen. But um, 
but yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from that it it can come from any direction. And well, and it definitely is a thing where it's it comes from the ego. And so if you let your ego fight with their ego, then you're not going to go anywhere. It's just it's just a losing battle. And whereas if you can help temper their ego, then it can things can work a little better. And, um, you know, something asking about women and hunting and stuff like that. That's a question I've probably had in every single interview, I think, that I've ever had. And it's, it's always approached differently. But I always say the elk don't care whether I'm a man or a woman. (laughs) So <laughs> they, they could care less. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> no, and it's, you know, you talk about finding a commonality with people. And I think that's such a critical skill. I mean, one just in life to have, like to be able to find commonality with people, it solves so many problems and whether it's in business or in hunting or in relationships or whatever it happens to be like that is one of the and and that's one thing i didn't realize until the past you know five or five to ten years of my life i didn't realize that that's actually a skill that's worth developing that not everyone has i just kind of assumed it was a thing everyone did until somebody's like (laughs) man you've really got like this this like networking and connecting with people thing down i'm like that's a thing. (laughs) I thought it was just something people did. And how do you think you developed that? Because a lot of people spend years trying to develop that. Hey, I think it's because what for me personally, I think I have a very curious mind. I'm the type of person that if I see something, I want to know about it, know how to do it and experience it. And because of that, I have such a wide range of experiences. Anyone that knows me is always like, oh, dear Lord, what is Sam into now? Like, what's the what's the latest passion? What's the latest hobby? Hunting's the only hunting is the only thing that's really stuck around and become a lifestyle for me. But there's so much other stuff that, you know, I mean, I could. I, I could, could rocher you a blanket right now if I wanted to. Like, I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I, I just saw it one day. It was like, it was in college and I was like, oh, shoot, I wonder if I could do that. And I picked up a book from Walmart and taught myself to crochet. <laughs> uh, but because of that, I have the ability to see things from a lot of different perspectives. I've had a lot of different life experiences. I've traveled, I've, uh, you know, I've interacted with thousands of different types of people in my life. And you, you either learn to develop that skill or you just crumple up and die. <laughs> like yeah. what? And, and it, it's, you kind of laugh at that, but it's true. And that's the thing is people who don't develop that skill, they aren't able to work and interact with others. And it ends up just taking them down this hole of like failure, 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 where you can learn how to interact with others and work with them and become successful, which leads back to a guided hunt. If you can work with your guide, then your guide can help you be successful. And I'm not saying any of that to knock anybody with a do-it-yourself hunt, but some people don't have time to go do the scouting. They don't have time, like you're saying, like six weeks or seven weeks to be out there. And that's where that guide comes in. And, And this is taking me down another rabbit hole, but a lot of people, when they talk about booking guided hunts they're like oh well they book a guided hunt and afterwards they're like well it didn't have this and it didn't have that or blah 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 well 
there are millions of different kinds of guided hunts. And obviously they weren't communicating and they were just assuming that this is what they were getting. And so if you book a, a hunt where they're just taking your gear and they're dropping you off, that's one thing. If you're booking a hunt where you're using their camp and their facilities and taking your own gear, that's something also. You can book one where you have a camp cook. You can book one where the guide is with you 24-7 and taking you out there. So there's quite an expanse. And then you're talking camps or cabins or lodges or a, a tent camp on decks. Or There's so many different things that you can do. So that communication goes with just like you said, everyday life. But also when you're in hunting, you need to communicate about what, what do you expect and what you're going to get. Even if you're just going with your buddies, communicate and, you know, like, Hey guys, where are we going? How long are we going to be there? What do I need to bring? Who's going to pitch in what? And, and, you know, then your buddies aren't fighting about, well, we, we pitched in this much and you didn't bring anything. So it communications yeah. everywhere. Well, it's, it's interesting. You talk about the, the guided hunts um, and, I don't think people realize, yeah, there are so many different options and there's a big difference between an outfitted hunt and a guided hunt. Mm -hmm. Like there's a very, very big range of stuff. And, uh, but that was, was making me think, you know, we talk about some people only have a week, like you said, only have a week They're maybe, or maybe they're new elk hunters, whatever it happens to be. And guided hunts are fantastic options, but also if you still kind of want to do that DIY thing and hunt on your own and have that experience, there are some awesome opportunities. I know a lot of guides that basically put together scouting packages for mm -hmm. you, where it's, you know, it's, you can do public land hunt and they will, they will spend the weeks beforehand picking out locations for you. A lot of the time, you know, if they've got cameras, they'll even help you. They'll even, you know, show you which bulls are, are in the area or whatever it happens to be for, you know, specifically for elk. Uh, but you can still then go out and you, you effectively get like a little dossier on your unit yeah. and you can use that information. It's not going to be as beneficial, obviously, as being able to spend three months scouting for yourself. But that is a really cool. I don't think I've ever talked about that on the podcast before. It's a really cool, viable option for a lot of people mm -hmm. that uh, are kind of in between. Maybe they can't afford a fully guided hunt or they just don't want that. That's not the experience they're looking for which going on my first guided hunt finally with my buddy John down in Arizona, that experience was one of the most valuable things I've ever done in my life. Mm -hmm. Mostly for all the times he'd turn around and look at me and, and basically be like, what the hell is wrong with you? And why are you doing that? <laughs> <laughs> which is what parents which, teach their kids when they're, you know, if you, exactly. have, if you grow up in a hunting family, and exactly. that's something to me, your friend, John, that's a sign of a good guide. And, the, and it's something you should ask if you're booking a guided hunt. And I'm not talking about guided hunts to sell a guided hunt. Cause as I said, right now I'm guiding for landowners. So I don't sell hunts right now. Um, but when I guide people, my goal is to teach them so that they have some knowledge and they can take that and do more down the road. It's not like, Oh, I'm going to keep all this knowledge so that you have to use me again. It, it's, I want, people to know and everything that I do when I write articles, when, when I do my own podcasts, when I do anything. And when I go speak at events, I'm trying to teach people so that they just have one more nugget of knowledge to take with them down the road. And I actually, I used to write for a publication that they asked, why would I book a guided hunt? Cause I go on guided hunts 
And mm-hmm. it, part of it is just what we were just saying is I, I don't have time to go scouting down in Florida. So I'm going to book a guide, you know, and if I, if I don't have time to go do the scouting or stuff like that, I don't want to haul all my own gear. I'll book a guided hunt. And part of going on a guided hunt when, when they ask, like, why would you got, you're a guide, why would you book a guided hunt? Well, if I had never hunted whitetail, I think I need to learn how to hunt whitetail. So that guide can teach me that. And so that's something ask when you're booking a hunt, if they'll help you learn and let them know your experience and if they'll help you. And I'm going to tell you about uh, asking for a guide on one of my favorite hunts ever. And it was a hunt that I didn't tag an animal. I never pulled the trigger during the hunt. Um, But I went with Saco rifles and I hunted in Russia and we hunted for brown bear and um, being a woman, we're talking about women and hunting. Well, being an American woman in Russia, I was a little nervous, but with Saco Rifles is owned by Beretta. And I used to write for Beretta when they had their online publication. And so I, I knew I was in good hands. I wasn't too worried, but still a little worried. And so when I went on this hunt, I requested a guide because I didn't want to be the American woman in Russia that ended up being the American woman in jail in Russia, you know? So so I had requested a guide. Well, the thing that I didn't know at the time was the guide that they sent me with, he didn't speak English. So so what I learned during the hunt was ask more questions. So I'm always learning too. We go and it's before sunrise. And a driver takes us, drops us off at a stand. We're hunting from stands. And as we're driving out, the drivers, I'm sitting beside the driver in the front seat. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm so excited, you know. And he's like asking me about my hunting experience and stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, in Colorado, have you hunted bears? I said, yeah, in Colorado, I've I've killed several bears. And I said, so what time is sunrise? It's four in the morning when we're driving out. And he's like, I think he said somewhere around six or something like that. So I'm okay, we've got a couple hours. So we get in this stand and we're sitting down and being quiet because obviously you want to be quiet when you're hunting. Right away, I hear sloshing in the water down below. There's a pond and stuff. And I'm like, wow, cool. And with my optics, I'm looking and I can kind of see a silhouette of what I know is a bear walking around out there. And I'm like, okay, cool. There's bears already. Like we're at a good stand. And, and the guide taps me and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, not wanting to make noise. I'm like shaking my head. Yeah, I, there's a bear down there. I, I hear it. Well, he taps me again and I'm like, look again. And I'm like, it's not quite light enough to shoot yet. It's not shooting light. And okay. Um, and I know I mentioned that I've, I'm a volunteer hunter education instructor in Colorado. And so I teach hunter education. So I obey all the laws, which is why I asked for the guide. Well, come to find out, I didn't see any other animals after the sun came up. The the driver comes, picks us up and we load up. I'm again in the front seat and the the driver's like talking to me. Oh, how'd it go? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it was was pretty cool. And uh, then I hear the the guides in the back seat and and, and they talk in the Bible like about Babel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and scattering languages and stuff. Well, I knew enough of his language. There, There's enough similarities that I figured out I was the dumb American woman that didn't shoot the bear. <laughs> and so they, they they i hear this discussion going back and forth and i'm like all of a sudden going oh crap you know like i i messed up and the driver gets quiet and he looks at me he said mia did you see the bear and i said 
well, yeah, it was still dark, but I could kind of tell there was a bear down there. It wasn't light enough to shoot yet, you know, because I'm thinking like, wow, these guys shoot really early. Well, no, yeah. they, they do shoot really early because he said, did you bring your light? Uh, and I was like, yeah, I have a light. And he's like, you're supposed to turn on your light and shoot the bear. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, so needless to say, it is one of my favorite experiences. I didn't get a bear. <laughs> but there's questions and, and communications that need to be given. Because I, like I said, I tried to follow all the rules. They also tried to help. They talked about shot placement and, you know, where to where to shoot the bear and stuff like that. But they didn't know that I didn't know to turn on the light. So th- those communications stuff happens. Um it you're not always successful in hunts but as i said it's one of my favorite hunting experiences ever i don't know when i'll ever have another chance to go back to russia and <laughs> so go back to go back to russia and spotlight bears <laughs> and, and it's an example i talk about in my hunter education classes all the times because you do you have to know the rules where you're going so <laughs> <laughs> that's that is so funny and i mean you know that's a critical thing i've talked about across the board always know what's allowed wherever you're hunting and i mean one yeah because you want to make sure you're following the rules and yeah you're not going to end up in a russian prison (laughs) which just (laughs) in the gulag um but also because you may be missing out on an opportunity to do something like shoot your big brown bear. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, that one, I have a bucket list and my bucket list grows and grows and grows. And that one, I was like, I'm going to check this one off. Well, I didn't. So it's still there. uh, I still have to go check off that list. (laughs) That's, that's my one, you know, anybody that's listening to the pod that's listened to the podcast for a while knows that's like my one ultimate bucket list hunt though, is a brown bear, but with my bow, Mm -hmm. um, which is a, a little puckering for me. It's a little bit terrifying, but that's just like the 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 ultimate thing to me when it comes yeah. to hunting, like the top tier. Like I I don't imagine it gets better than that in my mind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so so one of these days, one of these days, I'll get that checked off my list. But uh, I mean, this season, I'd just be happy with getting out in the woods, chasing, uh, talking about committing. I haven't I've been talking about getting out in the woods after Black Bear all stinking season. I've done like four podcasts on it, and I still have not left my place um <laughs> I've, only, I've only got about three weeks left of black bear season here in montana um but i did finally just get my resident license sorted out yesterday so i have my fishing my base hunting license i'm getting all my fun little add-ons added now glory hallelujah finally yeah that's it <laughs> that's an endeavor i'm sure and probably a relief so that a relief on the pocketbook <laughs> oh yeah Oh man, especially being here in Montana. I, I will. I always. I always tell people, you know, when you when you look at Zillow, needs to have like a, some sort of like draw odds and like license cost layer that you can add on when you're looking at houses and places to move. Oh yeah, either that or or Go Hunt needs to do like have housing prices built in or something like that, so you can just figure out the easiest way to figure out where you want to move based on draw odds and tag, uh, <laughs> tag get yourself costs. closer to the hunting area that you want to be in. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, I always joke, you know, that was one of the big reasons it was always going to be Montana regardless of this. But I mean, if you're going to look at the kind of the, the Rocky mountain States and where everything's located and like opportunities for residents and non-residents, 
as far as being a resident, Montana is like primo and, and the opportunity is great for non-residents, but it's expensive. And then, but all of the surrounding states, there's so many fantastic opportunities for non-residents and the cost is reasonable. So I'm like, I'm in the right spot. I'm in the absolute right spot. Now, that being said, nobody else should move to Montana. Um, <laughs> and, and here I am sitting listening to you and I'm like, yes, everybody go to Montana. <laughs> Don't come to Colorado. <laughs> it's like it's like the age old thing. And I think I think, you know, everyone's I had somebody I had somebody yell at me. Uh, it was either yesterday or the day before they I, I got yelled at. Go back to California. Um, and uh <laughs> I it, I laugh at that and I'm like, whatever. But I think honestly, the Californians that move out here are even worse than the native Montanans. We're <laughs> like, we immediately go back to go back to California. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But oh, speaking, speaking of hunter education, you know, you mentioned that you do teach hunter education and that's something I was actually just uh, texting my buddy, yet another Californian uh, that moved out to Montana. I'll be doing a podcast with him soon. Um, he uh he has been doing hunter education for a long time in California and he's going to be picking that up again coming out here. And that's one thing that I think really needs an influx of new people. Um and some states are a little bit better about it than others, but so often you know you go to your hunter education courses and it's like 75 or 80 year old dudes all sitting around in a room reading just dry reading directly from a PowerPoint mm-hmm. and it is the most soul numbing, boring introduction to hunting you could ever get in your life. And I think it's something, I feel like there's a, a big gap where people just stopped getting interested in getting involved in hunter education. Yeah. And, um, and I don't know if that's because the state stopped pushing it there or or what, but I think that's something that could use such an influx of, of young and new energy and passion. Absolutely. And hopefully if you, your listeners, if they can volunteer, that would be great. Or if they know somebody that they think would be a good volunteer, that would be great. In Colorado, they, um, we, we have to do continuing education programs every couple of years to maintain our certification in, in addition to teaching a certain number of hours, but they're always coming up with new ideas of how to involve students and stuff like that. And it, it does kind of bring a new perspective to it, but still you do have, like you said, the older demographic of teachers who've been doing it the same way for so long that they're not going to do any different. And so what we do in some of our classes is we team teach and we have them teach certain segments, you know, where they can kind of captivate and hold the attention in, for example, one of the guys I team teach with archery is his thing. It's my thing too. I mean, and actually all things are my things. Like we said, when you were introducing me, Um, but I like archery also, but it's his thing. And he's a good teacher of that. So we let him teach that. And I shouldn't say let, we just kind of, when we're agreeing, we agree, he's going to teach that. And then I'll take over the firearms and we kind of segment it out. And then that way we're not just getting the same guy droning on for 10 hours Mm -hmm. and it kind of engages the students better. But with having 
younger people and and I'm kind of in the middle because my daughter, she wants to get certified to teach as well, which I think is great because she brings that different perspective of somebody younger and that that will also engage different age demographics. And so there there are ways to do it. One thing at SHOT Show, uh, and I guess we didn't have it last year, but the year before, Idaho is also doing like a virtual reality portion of their hunter education. So you can like do virtual reality game field dressing. And so that's something that I think is a cool way to like engage people with the process of hunter ed. And then one of my really good friends, he's on the board of directors of one of the SCI chapters that I am in. And um, he went to get his hunter ed in Arizona so that he could do his hunt down there. You did you have to do that? Um, I know they I know that they offer you like a per if you do their a specific course, you get like a permanent Yeah, uh, and so you get a preference point. point. Yeah. yeah. And so maybe that's why he was doing it. Cause I was just thinking I thought he had hunted down there before, but he did do it for a preference point. But he commented he's set through several hunter ed classes with his kids and stuff like that in Colorado. And apparently it depends on who is teaching because a lot of what we do in our classes is interactive because people learn by doing Mm -hmm. But he's, you know, commented on like chambering rounds in the inert guns. And he commented on like, they had a 3d course where you kind of talk about shooter pass and stuff like that at this one that he went to. And that's something that it's going to vary from place to place, but if somebody wants to volunteer and teach involve the students and do that interactive stuff because they're going to become more engaged and they're going to remember more. And that's something that I've been complaining about this whole past year in 2020 with online and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. People are transitioning more and more to online and you'd retain very little when you do stuff online. I mean, you're only retaining like five to 10% of that content and you're going to remember it just like we did in high school. Like I'm going to cram for this exam or in college and then I'm going to take the test and then boom, I've forgotten all of it. So if you can do the in-person, it's a lot more engaging and you'll remember a lot more. Well, and I, I remember when I did mine in California, you know, California is one of the states I don't know about right now, but it's one of the states where you can either do the entire course online or sorry, you can do the entire course in person, or you can do like an initial course online and then just a follow-up course in person. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember I did the initial course online and then did the follow-up course. And I looked at it. I'm like, okay, there's was zero difference between, I think they just booked, they had one type of course. They called it you just go to different places, but you're effectively booking the same course for the the full size course and then the follow up course. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there's no difference between the two, and because we were all in the class together. And then what they did was they basically had a PowerPoint that was exactly what I took in the online course, and they just went through the PowerPoint and read it bullet by bullet, Ugh. word for word. <laughs> and then we took we took our written test when we finished with that we walked into a room they had you know a couple of inert guns and we sh- and it wasn't like we even handled the dare they had three or four of them and they would just pick one at random i think they handed me the shotgun and they're like okay you know chamber around do this they made sure i could basically pick up a shotgun safely and that was it and i got you know passed my course and did I, you have a live fire range day nope See, no in Colorado, fire. they 
we, we have the internet course, which includes a conclusion class, which is you have your X amount of hours online and then you have like four hours in class, three or four hours. Mm-hmm. And it's so condensed in the class that we're basically covering hands-on stuff like that. But then we also require live fire. And this is why I was saying last year, I've been complaining because they last year allowed people to do the whole thing online yeah. because of the lack of meeting in person. Uh, and I don't agree with that because I do think you have to have the range time. And, it, and if you touch, you know, shooting, then you know that, people at the range, you're going to learn safety. And I'll teach firearms portions in in in-person classes and the in-person classes, 10 hours of in-person. And then you go and do the range, the live fire. But during the firearms portion, I'm impressing safety, 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 safety. You get out to the range, you impress safety, safety, safety. Then you get down on the shooting mats and it's all gone. And so without having that range time, it's kind of, I think defeating the purpose of having hunter safety if you're not having that in-person safety at the range. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And I go back and forth. Cause I, there's part of me that is, that likes making things more accessible to people and people yeah. that can't get out. And, you know, I, I like providing opportunities to, to be like, okay, Hey, you know, get out into the woods, you know, and it, without trying to add more obstacles to that. But then there's the other part of me where, yeah, you need, you need to understand how to make an ethical shot, how to be safe in the woods, how to not shoot someone else, you know? Yeah. And it's those two parts of me are always fighting back and forth. And I know, you know, Montana uh, currently is allowing hundred percent online. I don't know if that I'd I'd have to look, but uh, they temporarily started doing that with, with COVID. I don't know if that's changed back or not. And I know there's lots of States that do it. And with, you know, one of the things I've talked about on the podcast before is it, with 100% reciprocity on uh, hunter safety across states, effectively, you could go to any state that allows 100% online, do your online course, and use that for any other state to get your hunting license. Um, right. It would be interesting to see down the road if it progresses and continues this way, it'd be interesting to see the statistics of incidents. Mm -hmm. And because I'm also, I'm a Colorado delegate for the DC project. And what we do is we go to the Capitol in Washington, DC, and we advocate for second amendment rights. But one of the things that I tout is education, because if you teach people, they're going to be safe. And in Colorado, since hunter education has been implemented, we've seen a 90% reduction in fatal incidents. Mm -hmm. And basically it went from an average of 10 fatal incidents a year back in the fifties, sixties time when hunter education was required in Colorado or made mandatory to now we have an average of less than one fatality. Mm -hmm. And and, and I say less than one because it's a 10 year average but that's because we're teaching safety. And I, I'm, as I just said a while ago, I believe that's partly because of that in-person emphasis on being safe at the range and mm-hmm. so forth. So it'll be interesting down the road to see where that goes, because right now that's something that legislators are looking at is education, it's aside from the millions of like feel good gun bans and stuff that they're doing. Yeah. Um, 
they, they're trying to look at education because we really want people to actually be safe, not just take tools away from them. I feel like, I feel like there's an opportunity to, I mean, you know, I also don't like making things more complex, but a lot of states do things like a, if you want to archery hunt, uh, you have to take an archery specific class. And again, there mm-hmm. tends to be hundred percent reciprocity. So like, I know Idaho and Montana both require you to have an archery license. I'm not sure about other States, but I, I took mine before my first uh, hunt in Idaho. And in that, uh, you know, I, I have again, hundred percent reciprocity for that, but I feel like that could be a possible solution to where, yeah, you can get, you know, you can take kind of your basic hunter safety, you can get that done fairly quick and easy and understand, and you can get, you know, a, a hunting license, but there could be whether it's an archery add on. So maybe you never, ever want to hunt with your life with a rifle in your entire lifetime. You just want to archery hunt and okay. You get your archery, you get your archery uh, safety certificate, or you learn how to ethically hunt with a bow um, and you're approved to do that. Or maybe you do get, you know, your shotgun or your rifle or whatever that happens to be. And it, it adds some complexity, but that might be an opportunity to get people in, get people out into the woods quicker and easier, specifically doing what they want to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that's the right answer one way or the other, but it, I don't know, maybe it's something to think about. It's something to think about. Yeah. It's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm full of them. I'm full of ideas. <laughs> Solving the world's problems. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. One podcast at a time. That's uh, that's how I roll. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So uh, you, you have a ton going on between your writing, your, your podcasting, your, I mean, you're guiding this, that, and the other. I mean, if folks wanted to follow along and see the the full breadth of what you're doing, where can they where can they find you online? Oh gosh, you can find me. I have a website, and it's miaanstein.com. And I'm so creative that all my social media outlets are also Mia Anstein. (laughs) (laughs) And that's probably because I just didn't have time to be creative and get a crazy handle or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have the Mac Outdoors podcast. And so I do have that social outlet. I put a little out there also. Um, but most, if you look at Mia Anstein, you will find me on most social media outlets. And if I'm not on one, then let me know and I can try to add it. But I think I have plenty right now. <laughs> <laughs> one, one more thing to manage. One, one more ball to, to throw up in the air. <laughs> but awesome. Well, so as we're winding down, one thing I kind of always like to, to finish up with is, you know, say you run into someone, they find out you're into all this hunting and fishing stuff. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe they're like me where they just, they grew up without access to that or without anyone really, uh, really exposing them to that. They don't have any friends or family that does it, but they're interested and they want to get into the outdoors and maybe they're a little intimidated. What, uh, what words of wisdom or advice would you give someone like that? That's something that most of what I do is directed toward people like that. And a lot of the publications that I write for, they want me to write toward women. And it was one of the things that I think connected us when we met at the Puma conference was you said that you didn't grow up around that. And part of my audience, most of the the publications are like, oh, you're writing to women. And no, because most of the audience is actually men. 
And part of that is men who did not grow up in hunting families or with a hunting mentor. And they, they want to learn how to hunt, but sometimes, and you can probably tell me whether it's right or wrong. Sometimes it can be intimidating because men in the hunting community sometimes like assume that, well, all men know how to hunt. Just like my daughter, when she went to college, she thought everyone knew about hunting because she grew up in a hunting family. And really it's such a small segment of the, of our entire population that no, not everybody knows about hunting. And so I'm always pretty excited when people want to learn about hunting and, or if they, even if they don't want to hunt, if they just want to know about it. And my main thing is ask questions and you can of course follow hunting communities on Facebook or the groups and social media and stuff like that. But if you ask people, find somebody that you're comfortable with. Most of the people that ask me, most of the men, they private message me and they're asking me like, how would I prepare for an elk hunt? What's the first thing that I should do? And Barland, we were just talking about hunter education. The first thing you should do if you want to learn about hunting is go take hunter ed. And, and then you can go from there. But as I mentioned, I'm on an SCI board. I, I am out the state representative for SCI for Colorado. And so you can look to organizations like SCI, NWTF. We talked about Bugle Magazine. That's Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Pheasants Forever, Delta Waterfowl. All of those conservation organizations, they have mentor type programs. Or if you just get in touch with the, the board of directors of a chapter, you can ask them like, hey, I want to learn how to hunt. Can you suggest something? Because they're, if it's in your community, they'll have some ideas there of what's going on and where you can maybe go to a meeting or go listen to a keynote at a conference or something like that. And that's a good place to get started. For women, there are a lot of women's clubs and organizations. And honestly, I think it's easier for women than it is for men who don't have that foundation because you can go to a woman's group and go on a group hunt or something like that, where I don't see a lot of like, Hey men, this is just for you. I don't, I don't see a lot of that. And like I said, you can tell me if I'm mistaken on that, but it's just kind of assumed like almost that it's like, Oh yeah, it's like a men's thing. And to be honest, it's sometimes, and I've clearly gotten over this because I embarrass myself on a constant basis in the woods, uh, <laughs> but it's it's almost a little embarrassing to have to admit because it's like, it's hunting. It's a man thing. You should just know this, you know? Right. Um, and I, I feel like there is that a bit of that perception, but for the most part, like it's just the opposite, but it's this kind of thing you get inside your head about where as a guy, you feel like you should know all this stuff and be experienced with it. And you don't want to ask those questions because you're afraid of getting embarrassed. When, if you would just ask them, people would be so stoked. Like for the most part, when I'm teaching archery classes, like when I start setting up the class and introducing and, you know, setting the layout of how the class is going to go. I always tell people, please ask questions because if you have that question, someone else here probably has the question also. And if you're asking the question, it's going to probably inspire a different question from someone else, which Mm -hmm. makes that conversation, which we talked about a while ago. And so the questions are super important on social media in like hunt Colorado, go to that group. You can go ask questions there and, 
generally they're pretty helpful. There are always the rogue trolls that are keyboard <laughs> warriors. They're going to, you know, have their condescending remarks and stuff like that. But I've found, you know, and especially like the Colorado Bow Hunters Association, they have a group and they're very helpful in answering people's questions. They're always wanting, you know, it, it's that thing of bringing more people into the community and mentoring. And for the most part, a lot of them are engaging with that. It seems like the ones who aren't, they, like I said, they're probably the ones that are the trolls that are out there every now and then saying, go away. But I think your confidence, if everybody could have that and confidence. And so I, I live by seven C's and it's funny because you have a few of them and that's confidence, curiosity, compassion. And, and that's something where if you can have that, just go into it and, you know, be willing to say like, I don't know. And that's something that a lot of people don't want to say, like, I don't know, like me going to Russia. I don't know. That's why I'm asking for help because I, I've hunted, but not in Russia. So have that willingness to be like, okay, I'm curious about this and I want to learn and I want you to help. And I think that's the best way to start learning. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you sitting down, taking the time. This was a really fun conversation. <laughs> Hopefully I didn't ramble on too much oh, or no, take perfect. you in too many circles. We could go down a few more rabbit holes if you want. <laughs> oh man, I have no doubt. No doubt at all. <laughs> All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. That'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. 